You're about to listen to the Healthy Church Growth Show with me, Madge Abasaki, minister, author, and visionary of growthechurchnow.com. I'm also known as the Healthy Church Growth Advocate. My guests on this show are fellow ministers, church leaders, and experts in their field. We'll share practical tips to address challenges and provide solutions for the church at large every Monday. Enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hello, and I am speaking to Bishop Kai Dimar, Duar, I should say, um, up in Wales. Uh, we're in England, and um, I want to say hello to you, sir. Well, hello to you. I, I hope you're well. Well, I'm very well, and considering the times we're in, um, I, I thank God for that. Um, but we, we want to talk today and focus on what the positives, because there are positives that have come out of this, and the negatives that have come out of this situation, this pandemic. Now, um, I'm gonna date stamp this because obviously we are in the middle of a pandemic and it's global. Um, this is the 28th of uh, April today. And as such in the UK, we've been in lockdown for over six weeks. And it doesn't look as though we're coming out of it anytime soon. Um, simply because of the consequences of this strange uh, mutant, uh, people are calling it, of a virus. So, Bishop, um, how are you coping in this season and where are you at within your own community? Um, coping is something I'm, I'm having to learn to do. I'm one that needs to keep my mind occupied um, continuously. Um, I have a very, um, what should we say, overactive sense of <laughs> both imagination and um, I, 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 I used to joke to tell people that I was an eternal student, so I'm constantly learning. So for the last two weeks of the, the six weeks of the lockdown, mm. I have taken something I looked at several years ago in a glancing view, and I have spent about two, maybe two and a half weeks really studying um, neuroscience and epigenetics with whoa, a view whoa. <laughs> <laughs> but but done it from the the perspective of understanding the modalities of prayer that we teach and then the effect those have both on our mind and yeah. then our physical body yeah. um, i think we we we've dismissed an awful lot of science uh, out of hand way too quickly and I think the church in general has oh. dismissed science out of hand very quickly. And I've, I, I'm fascinated by the fact that 2,000 years almost after Jesus taught certain things, mm. the scientific community is finally able to explain mm. what he was teaching the disciples sure. from, from a, a, a both a neurological and uh, an epigenetical perspective so so that's keeping me busy at the moment i can imagine uh, <laughs> I, I should imagine it's not everybody's cup of tea but i think that the one of the the major lessons that we needed to learn or, or should be learning very very quickly is this for us as ministers for us as leaders mm. and anybody in general this is a great season to really understand how 
you are investing yourself in the time that we have because as I've taught for many years, time is our most expensive commodity. Absolutely. It's the only one that we cannot replicate and it's the one that we give away so freely. Mm. So I think a lot of us are really turning our attention on to um, far more effective time management, um, assessing what is important in what we do, what's not important, how much of what we do in this thing that we call ministry is actually of little to no effect and, and where is it may have its place. Certainly senior leadership sh should be looking to delegate some of the, the stuff that they've refused to let go of for a long time to some of their junior leaders mm -hmm. um, uh, it, with a view to being able to become more effective as senior leadership. So uh, that's, my, that's keeping me busy. Well, well, um, this this whole um, conversation, I'm going to have to unpack what you've just said. You <laughs> just made some quite strong statements there. Um, the delegation, um, the fact that we're focusing on um, maybe a narrow uh, trajectory, perhaps. Um, so I, I just wanted to ask you, what are the key things that you have noticed um, in local churches? I know that you are part of networks um, that involve other bishops, yeah. uh, church leaders, pastors, ministers. Um, what are the key issues that are coming up for them at the moment? And, is, and has, has that knowledge informed what you just said? So um, I, I would go... Perhaps I should say, I would be so bold as to say, some of the things I've been teaching leaders for over a decade, mm. this pandemic has really highlighted. Mm. Um, and and uh, of quite a few of the leaders I've interacted with, a lot of them have come back and said, I wished I'd listened 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when you first started talking about these things. Um, so for me, it's a case of, rather than jumping on the bandwagon of, well, I told you so, it's okay, how do we now navigate the position that we find ourselves in? Let's learn from the lessons that we've missed in the past, catch up to them in the present now, and begin to create a plan of how we're going to implement that moving out of this thing. Because this pandemic and how quickly the government in the UK shut the, the church down uh, and shut society down with the lockdown proved how woefully unprepared we as a church were for any such event to happen. And I think that the, the biggest concern for me is how much, um, now I'm, I'm going to apologize in advance because I say a lot of controversial things, but I do them because I, I firmly believe in provoking people into a new, a new mindset and provoking people into their destiny. I'm not one to come to for sympathy and pats on the back and sugarcoating and everything will be all right. That's not me. So you'll find that what I say can be, quite provocative. I think this pandemic has highlighted how many churches exist around the personality of the leader and the person in charge, rather than being Christ-centered and community-focused. Now, all... why did you say that? Because I know an awful lot of churches that are already struggling because their, their center focus has been about the leader fulfilling their ministry, so to speak, and the people in support of that leader and everything was done to make sure the leader was almost put on a pedestal and, and in many respects, pretty much deified. And suddenly you take away the support system 
and you find out that the person that you've put in this position really, as the Americans would say, ain't all that in a bag of potato chips. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get leaders now that are really struggling out of the mindset of being personality-based in their ministries, out of a mindset of being solely uh, reliant upon congregational giving to fund the work that they do, to, uh, and then getting them to turn their attention to, if you truly believe God's called you to what you're doing and where you're doing it, God has put you in a community for a purpose. And if you refuse to reach outside of the four walls of your building, you are not fulfilling the mandate of why God has put you there. So I guess it's a real time for us to, to really refocus on um, why we do what we do. And I've told leaders and I stand by it. Uh, a lot of people are upset with me for saying it, but I, I do stand by it. I have told leaders uh, this pandemic for the, the Pentecostal charismatic evangelical church will be what the flood was to Noah and a lot of ministries won't survive it. Is it just though those denominations or is it across the board? Because I know you are an ecumenist, which means that you work with different denominations. Your roots were in a specific denomination. So is it just about those denominations or is it, or, or does this relate to all denominations? I think all of the denominations will see post pandemic, will see a decline in membership. Um, and that's something that has been a, a growing concern for many years. The church, the church universal in the United Kingdom is shrinking in size. Mm. The charismatic Pentecostal evangelical churches, and I, so I don't offend anybody, I group all three together, mm. um, is growing in its size. The, the problem with our growth is it, mm. it kind of distorts the picture of the state of the church across the, the UK from an ecumenical standpoint. I think other major denominations will struggle, but where we fail that they don't is because we have so many different organizations, so many different fellowships, so many independent churches within our number, whereas the denominations have one central pot of finance, one central tier of leadership that's dictating a national agenda and in many cases, international uh, agendas. They have a, a support network to draw back on that I think we have failed outside of. I, I know denominations within our three churches have that, but the, 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 the larger preponderance of those three groups of churches are independent um, and heavily reliant upon the numbers that are in the church for financial support, material support, emotional support, and, and various other things, and to do the work of the ministry. And in the crisis, that support network when you can't bring them together fails whereas let's say the institutional denominations and the larger denominations have contingency funds should they hit a crisis you know i know from my my previous experiences you know the anglican church has a two point something billion pound asset pool that mm. if push comes to shove, they'll start selling assets to, to bring finance in. Mm. If you're an independent church with a hundred members and barely paying the, the mortgage on your building, when you hit a crisis, we don't have that support network. And it's for my, the leaders I've spoken to over the last six weeks, it's hitting them hard. Yeah. And in what ways can we, can, can we unlock that and, and, and 
get down to the nitty gritty yeah. what what specific ways is it affecting leaders so uh, of all the conversations i've had now as you like yourself the last six weeks it's been video conference teleconference Absolutely. emails mm. from all of the conversations i'm having there are three key elements that are coming out of the conversations one how do i keep my people together mm. two how do i minister to them in the crisis when we can't gather together mm. and three how do, and this is the one that concerns me more than the others how do i keep my people giving mm. and those are the three major questions that are being asked of me and 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 that i'm hearing from other leaders not just in the united kingdom but from around the world one the the answer let's let's deal with it in the, the three that we did number one how do I keep my people together? You should have been focused on building community, not building an empire from the start. <laughs> so when we hit a crisis, your people don't run to the hills. That your people band together and go, what can we do in the crisis? How can we, you know, we can't come together as we know in part two of the three uh, answers I gave. We can't come together, but there's something that we can do to keep each other connected. And this is where I think churches that don't have now, I'm not saying that every church needs cell groups and home fellowships and something like that. But certainly a church that, whether you're a large church, small church, if you cover a geographical area, you should have some mechanism in place for your people to interact with themselves outside of your midweek and Sunday services. And, and this pandemic has really highlighted from the leaders that I know how many churches focus on their midweek service, their Sunday service, and there's very little else outside of that to keep the people connected. I keep trying to tell people, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was teaching on the Israelites being in Babylon. And God's purpose was for Israel to assimilate Babylon in, into Israel. And the prophets were telling them, no, no, we, we, we need to stay away from Babylon because they want to assimilate us. This is exactly where we're at now. We find ourselves in our own Babylon, except it's not a strange land. It's a strange time and we call it lockdown. Yeah. But we, have, we should have been building community, building kingdom. So that even in this crisis, one, we can still interact with each other. And two, we can Absolutely. still go out and assimilate our Babylon into the kingdom. Yeah. And I think that the kingdom is failing people in this pandemic because we're not doing outreach. Because at the moment, most of the leaders that I'm interacting with, they're only concerned about how do I keep my people together? And how do I keep them engaged enough that when this is over, they come back to my church? Do you get a sense, and could you tell me what sort of age group we're talking about that this le this leadership represents that you're communicating with? Uh, it's leaders of every age. I, oh. I, I'm, lit I'm literally covering church leaders, uh, people in their teens aspiring to go into leadership, which I'm mentoring. I think my youngest protege at the moment is 14, right. um, has a desire to go into to, to leadership, and I'm investing my time in uh, with his parents' consent, obviously, I'm investing my time um, just via emails, and uh, um, and sometimes he reaches out via social media. Right up to leaders in, I think, seventy nine is right. the oldest leader I'm interacting with at the moment. Has been in ministry for over fifty years, right? And is trying to navigate through the pandemic because at his age, it falls into the high risk category and has to self isolate longer than anybody. 
and also falls into being the high-risk category of, because of medical conditions, is being far more likely to contract it, and if he does, not survive. And how does he, you know, how does he manage to, to keep his church together at, um, let's, let's say, an, um, an elder statesman's position? Because uh, I don't think anybody's old in the gospel. <laughs> but, uh, but okay, so uh, let's use the example of, um, on average, yeah. what the leaders that you're communicating with in, in the ecumenical groups that you've um, been speaking to, what's the average age? And there is a reason I'm asking this. Okay, so uh, as, a, as an average across the nation, yeah. uh, from an age group, I would say uh, maybe 35 to 55. Right, okay. So we're, we're talking about from generation, um, the end of the millennials, uh, generation X, which would be, you know, sort of 38, 39 plus to 50. Okay, that, that, that makes a lot of sense because, um, you know, there has been some research done um, to find out the differences in approach in times of crisis by um, slightly older leaders to younger leaders. And because we are very dependent on the digital church, if you like, if that's yeah. a term, um, some of the older leaders may not be au fait with the technologies that are, are needed in order to reach out to their people. Indeed, if they haven't actually been developing that re those relationships, like you've been saying, it's possible that people won't engage with it now we're at digital anywhere. Is that the sense that you get? Most of the, most of the, the older um, uh, leaders in that age group, are, their principal concern is technology, connecting with people through technology now. Um, and a lot of them are struggling how to... to you know, if I could say it this way, okay? So most of us as leaders and church and preachers are used to being in front of a congregation, yeah. are used to being supported by singers and a band yeah. and are not used to having to sit with nothing mm. and talk to a camera with no interaction at all mm. and have to deliver the word of God as we have done, like we would do if we were in a pulpit with the same passion, the same intensity in a completely, uh, in a platform that we're, uh, that they are, I'm not going to say we because media is my speciality, but yeah. in, in a platform that they are completely uncomfortable using, mm. completely unknowledgeable in using, mm. and completely nervous about uh, how is it coming across. I've had a, a leader in um, uh, Hipsapar, Georgia, call me, and mm. we had a 45, 50-minute conversation where I just basically took him through how to get him to relax in doing his live stream and, and mm. trying to understand, don't set your living room up like your church with your pulpit and all that lot. <laughs> Bring people into your home. Bring mm. people into, you're now in a different environment. You're having to reach people in a different way. So do it differently. Mm. Don't go back to what you always knew because it works in the environment that you're in mm. when we're in the church building. It doesn't work in your living room or your dining room or your office. So find a way to connect with people from where you're at, change the way that you're doing things. And, and I've told people, look, if all you've got is your smartphone 
and your Bible. That's all you need. Yeah. You don't have to, you, you don't, uh, now, in the media world, we call it gas. When, when people have got gas, that's gear acquisition syndrome, just to clarify, where everybody starts panicking. I've got to buy this. I've got to have that. I, I can't, you know, we haven't got this for the live stream. Forget that. Get yourself your Bible, your phone or your iPad or your computer and just do it. And I think that's where a lot of the, the, the elder leaders have panicked and are, are probably not connecting with people still because they're just afraid about doing it. I'm fortunate because I've got over 25 years experience in media and Christian TV and, and radio. And 90% of my media ministry has not been recorded in front of a congregation. It's been me sitting to a camera. Uh, so sitting in a TV studio or in my lounge or my dining room and talking to a camera is something I do as second nature. But I think that we have this, this tendency to see the, let's say, mega ministries with their multi-million pound setups and and suddenly you know uh, pastor joe sitting at home in his lounge thinks what have i got to do to be like you know bishop td jakes for example well you, you're not at that level you don't have the, yeah. so mm -hmm. use what you've got and you know if i could say one word of encouragement for anybody that's struggling with their media ministry right now it would simply be this the best tool you've got is the thing you hold in your hand so if that's a, an iPad, a phone, or a computer, use what you've got. Absolutely. Be the best at doing what you do. And just do you, because nobody does you better than you do. You know, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about the woman with the cruise of oil. That's mm. all she had. Yeah. That's what she used. Um, I have done um, quite a lot of um, uh, talking head. And I, I did a, a message um, just before Easter um, that hopefully is future proof because I didn't necessarily mention Easter itself, but what I did do was I actually put out a message of encouragement and it was three and a half minutes and I'm still getting reactions to that. And that was with my uh, cell phone, happens to be quite a good one, but you can set it so that it's at optimum. Um, I think it's called QHD. Um, I can put some some notes in in the show notes about that um, and you can have a microphone on it if you've got it or you can speak into the microphone. Um, there's lots of things that you can do to use exactly what you've got. So totally, totally understand that uh, Bishop. But I think it much more. Do you feel that it's a sense of the message that they need to communicate, each leader needs to communicate at this very difficult, the word unprecedented keeps coming up, this difficult time. Isn't it more to do about focusing on that, do you feel? I think so. Um, and I think a lot of the sermons I've listened to over the last six weeks, because I've skimmed through a lot of preachers to try and help them, um, a lot of it is fear-based. Um, and, and not the kind of preaching on the fear of God or the fear of, of hell that, you know, like we used to, the old fashioned preachers in the old days, the hellfire and damnation. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll scare you out of hell and, and get you into heaven. I think a lot of people, because of the uncertainty of the time that we're in, yeah. are preaching messages motivated by fear. And then, of course, there's the danger of now they're having to spend time on social media to interact with their people is seeing the. I got to be polite now, the junk that people post 
and reading all of this nonsense and letting that affect their thought process and then motivating sermons out of those things rather than, look, we're going through this. Everybody's going through it. 40% of the world's population is in lockdown. 60% lives in, in areas that cannot be locked down. So let's just keep going like we would do. The only thing that's changed in this is your location. Mm. And I, I think a lot of people are, are reacting to what's going on. A lot of preachers are suddenly discovering Sky News and BBC News and all of this and spending hours every day watching the news. And I'm mm. like, it's the worst thing you can do because it it's is. the same junk over Absolutely. and over. Mm. Um, and for me, uh, where I mean, it's difficult because of my work in politics and, and all of that kind of stuff where I've had to be up to date with the news. But I found an app that gives me news updates two or three times a day. That works for me. I haven't got to sit and watch the TV for hours like I used to during the election. And I pick my news when I want to read it. And if I think first five seconds, this is just rubbish, I just move on to the next story. I think we, because of the time that we're in, because, as you said, it's unprecedented. People don't know what to do. And that the easiest thing to do is keep doing what you would have done as a preacher to study, to learn. And instead of... <laughs> There's one preacher I know, right? He's a friend of mine. And I told him, I'm not going to mention his name, but I told him, I'm going to tell everybody about you. So every message for the last six weeks has been COVID-19 related. And I'm like, people don't need to hear that. If they're coming to listen to you on a Sunday or a Wednesday, give them the word of God. Because the word of God doesn't talk about COVID-19. The word of God talks about how we get through a crisis, how we cope in a crisis. Uh, Tomorrow... uh, at the time of this recording, the day after we, we've done this, I will be doing my weekly live stream. And my weekly live stream this week is on how guru preaching has failed us. Mm. Because all of what this... What do you mean the, by guru preaching? Well, all, all of the, you know, got to do everything to feel good and keep, your, keep yourself positive and, and uh, you know, stay focused on your goals and, and all the, the, the stuff that we hear. Every guru under the sun churning out and it's the same junk that they all say you just say it differently in a crisis that's failed us because how do you keep positive when the whole world looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket how do you stay let's say how do you stay focused on achieving your goals and prospering in an economy that's in the worst recession we're probably going to see in our lifetime Uh, and i think what the where we have now i include myself in this because I've always drawn myself into the problem as much as I try to be a solution in it. I think where we as leaders have failed is we have not taught people enough about mental toughness, about surviving through a crisis, about dark days will come. We don't know what they're going to look like, but dark days will come. The book of Revelation talks about it. There are scriptures that talk about when we can't meet together because through persecution. Whether you want to like it or not, this pandemic is a form of persecution because the whole world is separated. Families are separated. You know, loved ones are separated. So we've taught, for me, we've taught the wrong things. And instead of focusing on appealing to people's emotional responses, We should have been focused on truly spiritual development and spiritual longevity of the believer so that in a crisis, we didn't go into panic mode. We just switched straight over into, hey, you're all panicking. God's got this. We just keep doing what we do. 
Bishop, are you not talking about um, another area that causes a lack of retention, which is discipleship? And for me, discipleship is lifelong learning. Um, and it comes with the good and it comes with the bad. So would you agree with me there that, you know, it is about um, discipleship or a lack thereof, perhaps? I, I'm 100% in agreement. It, it, to me, is a total absence of discipleship. And, and perhaps I have a different view on it to other people. Mm. I'm sure I do. I'm sure there's a few might agree with me. I think because, we, because in, a, in a, a, a preponderance of churches, the focus is all about the leader rather than the community of the church, mm. we don't encourage discipleship. Because discipleship involves time. It involves me. Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Right? So we know that the Christ and the Father had spent an awful lot of time with each other. So Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And his goal was to achieve a Christ-likeness in his own life. If I am pursuing that, and I am trying to replicate that in somebody else till they have a revelation of who Christ is for themselves, that involves a time and, a and an investment in a relationship that in this day and age, most people do not want to give. Most people that attend churches are quite happy to give their 60 minutes for midweek service and 90 minutes on the Sunday, and I've done church, mm. and I'm happy, forgetting that it's not the pastor's job to get people saved. It's not the pastor's job to disciple people. God told every single one of us about the great commission. Yeah. I have preached in many churches, don't bring your friends and your family here because I'm going to get them saved. They're not my responsibility, they're yours because yeah. that's the world you live in. The Bible says go into all the world. Greek word there is ethnos, meaning you know, circle of influence group whatever uh, we derive ethnicity and ethnic from it but it literally means that your circle of influence that's the 12 people you interact with the most go into all your world and preach the gospel go into your world and make disciples and that discipleship means that i have to invest myself the the young protege i've got 14 years of age what i'm trying what am i trying to do i'm trying to invest as much of me in him to become what he can become in christ until he gets to a point where Christ, like Paul on the Damascus Road, reveals himself to that young boy the way he revealed himself to me. That's discipleship. And that involves a, a cost, a price, that I genuinely believe 99.9% .9 of believers are not willing to pay. However, um, here's the thing, and you, you kind of intimated this, I don't think discipleship is just down to leadership. I just think they need to inspire um, the way to go. So as you said, if they don't feel or haven't considered that it's something that needs to be, needs to be focused on, because it's part of our, our, our mission, isn't it? You know, Matthew 28, 19 to 20 talks about making disciples. However, the problem is that uh, people's understanding of discipleship is very, very different. 
for example, some people might feel that it's a four week course and then you're a disciple. <laughs> <laughs> but in, um, I think it's Luke 9 and Matthew 10, it says, it, it, uh, the first verse of those, those two chapters talks about Jesus giving the power and the authority to go and do what I did. So, the, so it's intimated that it, I want you to duplicate a bit like a, it, it means that people can move forward because they've been taught. And when they've been taught, others are taught. Would you agree? I completely agree. And I think if we, it, it, for me, um, if we had a core group of disciples amongst the, the senior leadership of a church that the senior leader has inspired mm. by teaching them and, and discipling them, them himself, then the next the next phase is now you go replicate what I've done, mm. and I, I think that we don't encourage enough of that, because not all of the churches, but certainly a fair few that I've interacted with over the 28 years I've been in ministry, a lot of the senior leadership are afraid to do things like that because they're afraid that somebody will start a church out of a house group. Somebody will think that they're better at being the leader than the leader and try and take control, or you get all manner of, of uh, nonsense run amok because of what happens in those situations. And I've seen it happen, um, and I've been involved in churches where it's happened, where somebody starts, you know, well, I'm going to run, a, I'm going to do discipleship, and now eight weeks later, I'm setting my own church up, and I'm now a pastor. Um, but I think that if we if we taught the model biblically. Yeah. and taught the model from yeah. an inspired point of view mm. rather than a forced necessity which we tend to do that we would inspire leadership to be committed to the cause of discipleship yeah the, the irony about it is in, in the secular environment they call it mentorship yeah. and they're doing it that, that people pay huge sums of money to be yeah. mentored by some of the world's best and we in the church are so afraid of it's funny because i had this conversation with somebody yesterday we are so afraid of biblical terminology and biblical requirements mm -hmm. that the world has taken and, and almost made them their own hmm. that now we we'll avoid anything to do with that because oh it's got a new age slant on it or it's you know it's to do with spiritualism and no 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 that the enemy has taken what god has given us in the word because we're not doing it replicated it in the secular environment and now we're afraid to touch it because of what he's done through it we need to start reclaiming back what God has given us to do and doing it in accordance with the word that we were given. Because to me, the Bible is the greatest instruction manual ever written. Yeah. And, and that, that's the, the, the problem is it's, um, and, and I'm, I'm hearing you saying that it's all to do with the uh, initial approach and what they feel their mission is and I, I wonder if there's a sense of people not uh, losing track of their mission with all the noise on social media and I want to be like um, I spoke to um, I spoke to someone happens to be a senior leader and um, he he asked me to do some some work and I said well what, what are your main what's your main reason um, for asking me to do this work. And he says, well, I want to be a mega church. 
so okay and and is that because you want to reach people to help them to disciple them or whatever and anyway the conversation didn't go um the way i think they possibly felt it was going to go because if you're going to involve yourself in that sort of process you really need to go back to basics and and say okay what is our mission and why are am i doing this and i'm am i a servant to god or do i see myself as something else I think you hit a very valid point in what you just said there. Uh, let's just unpack the conversation that you had for a second, <laughs> uh, uh, which I hear a lot of. I want. And uh, I keep trying to point out that, um, you know, I in Greek is ego. Mm. Uh, there isn't an ego in the kingdom. And uh, I hear too many leaders nowadays, and I've been guilty of it in the past, so I'm not going to, I slap myself over the, the back, you know. Uh, um, but I think our, because of this, uh, because of the guru preaching that we've heard and we've done <laughs> and, and all of this, you know, trying to replicate, I, 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 I it's almost like, and no slight on the man, he's an, he's a truly incredible man, but we take the Tony Robbins of this world and we take the, the John Maxwell's and, and people like that. And I know Maxwell's a believer, but we take all of the things that they say now we try and find scriptures to fit it and bring it into the church and and go for this kind of spiritual um motivational preaching uh, uh and all of that is about building egos and 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 i think that leaders fail when their first thing like you said is i want because when people ask me why do i do what i do my answer is always the same god called me to do this and I'm trying to fulfill the vision he gave me for my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think we've lost sight of that. And I, I can honestly say there was a point in my life and my ministry, because you're caught up in everything that goes on, mm -hmm. that I lost sight of it. And I paid a bit of price for it. But, but in hindsight, I'm glad I've paid the price for it, because it certainly refocused me. And I, I, I'm praying to God that it's redefined me as a leader to make me more kingdom-focused and Christ-centric uh, Christ in what I do rather than trying to build a brand, trying to build an empire, which is what I find a lot of people now doing. And people forget throughout history, empires have come and gone, but the kingdom of God remains true. Um, and we should be about, uh, Jesus said to, you know, when his mother and father were looking for him, I was in my father's house. I was about my father's business. I think we need to get back to that. We as a church certainly need to get back to being about the father's business and fulfilling mm. the vision and, and every pastor should have a vision from God to do what they do. Otherwise, you're building an empire. Yeah. So can you unpackage that? You said you yourself had gotten into this sort of guru trap, if, um, if I can quote your term. Um, okay. What, what exactly happened and how did you move out of that? So um, I got into a point where uh, I travel 46 to 50 weeks of the year. So I'm never in the same church more than two or three days. Um, and that was a combination of the work I was doing in the communion that I was a part of, and then just my, my itinerant ministry. I, I've pastored a church in the past. Um, I was very thankful when I was removed from that position, and uh, not just because of my elevation to the office of the bishop, but I fell into a, 
a trap that a lot of preachers fall into and that is especially those that travel a lot and that is because you're not in the same place twice you probably don't put in the effort in preparing yourself because i've never studied to prepare a sermon um but certainly preparing yourself to deliver fresh meat mm -hmm. um, at every place that you minister and when you're uh, uh, let me give you an example so uh over a two-week period um a couple of years back i was in holland germany northampton nottingham london holland and japan now moving i spent less time in japan than i did on the plane there and on the way back so you with this constant movement it's very difficult to maintain a a, a study routine when you're you're traveling so you get into this trap of maybe having half a dozen or a dozen sermons that you repeatedly go to um and then every year you'll change them because you know now i'm back out on the circuit and there's a chance i might go to a church i was at last year so you change your message a lot of traveling preachers do it it's a well-known fact I mean, we shouldn't even deny that we do it because that we've done the trouble with that is you get into this thing of just going through the motions so you find a particular message that works well with the congregation mm -hmm. almost like the guru preaching and now you come and you deliver that wow. because most preachers mm -hmm. now for me example right because i was a prosperity preacher most preachers want me to come in boost their congregation and the reason i'm there is to boost them because at the end of the service i'm going to take an offering right so i knew why people used to wow. book me to preach that's the plain and simple truth let's tell the truth, shame the devil and be done with it. So there was a handful of messages that I would preach over and over and over, especially when I knew the pastor wanted me there purely to raise an offering. And I've raised hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds in various churches all across the world. In Just one through service. preaching? Just through a motivated message and receiving an offering. Wow. Nothing unbiblical, mm. not using any tricks or anything, literally teaching the word of God but people respond to different things. You know, when you come with a very harsh and a stern message as a pastor, because you need to rebuke your people, they respond with, you know, ouch, and, and oh, I didn't like that. But you come with a very motivational, uplifting message, and people respond to what you ask them to do. In business, we call it the call to action. So, <laughs> you know, my mine was, yeah, so, so my CTA in those instances was i'm going to teach you about the laws of prosperity and i want my my cta's to get you involved in the process um and because of that i fell into the trap of going through the motions and it was about two two and a half years of traveling around the world before i realized i am just going through the motions and one day god stopped it because i i just i had literally just flown in from germany um i stepped off the plane so uh, I flew out on the Sunday morning, arrived in Germany, did the service, had a few meetings that afternoon, and at six o'clock the following morning was on a plane back to London, a few meetings in London, and then I, by about 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night, I got home to where I live. And all week I felt really ill. Oh. Like there was something seriously wrong. And I've, I've been ill when I've traveled. I mean, I traveled for 13 weeks with pneumonia and, and kept, you know, kept preaching because i've made commitments and i i don't let people down unless i'm on death's door and um 
I, I couldn't shake it. I just could There was something seriously wrong. I had a migraine for five days, could not shake it, nothing. So cut a long story short, Sunday morning, I end up in the hospital and my blood pressure is 195 over 172. And they're trying to get my blood pressure down because they think I'm about to have a fatal stroke. So I'm there for nine hours on IV drips and goodness knows what. And they get my blood pressure down, send me home. And I'm now, uh, then I'm put on blood pressure medication and I'm having to go to the doctors every two or three days to have my blood pressure checked and it's not coming down. It's starting to go back up again. And now they're talking about uh, as one of my veins collapsed, as one of my arteries collapsed, uh, are there other problems? And I'm, I'm back and forth at the doctors for six, maybe eight weeks. And suddenly one Wednesday night, I'm rushed back into A&E. And at 2.30 in the morning, the doctor comes in and knows me because he's seen me doing chaplaincy in the hospital, walks in and goes, well, father, you've had a heart attack. Wow. And I, I lay there at 41 years of age in wow. a hospital bed thinking, what on earth just happened? So I spent the night in hospital. I was awake all night. And, uh, you know, in, in a crisis, you tend to talk to God. And I said to the Lord in, in my prayer, I've been all over the world preaching for you. And I thought you would look after me. And the Holy Spirit so lovingly whispered back to me, son, I never asked you to kill yourself for me. And I realized that I'd been keeping a schedule that was almost impossible to keep mm. because I did not know how to say no. Mm. And it wasn't that God was sending me to these places. It was I'd get invitations. And rather than looking at the long-term consequences or, you know, can I step off a plane from, for example, can I step off a plane from Nepal and two hours later get on a plane to go back to Holland to go deal with a mess and spend five days in Holland and then go down to Germany and, and all of this kind of stuff. And I had to sit back and evaluate. And suddenly overnight, I went from traveling 46 to 50 weeks every year, having a very good income from my preaching and speaking engagements and all of the other things I did that were ministry related to, I couldn't do anything. My doctors wouldn't even let me get on a plane. And uh, that, that hitting the wall at 100 miles an hour, as I've referred to it, really made me evaluate both my life of how I was doing ministry. But when I began to evaluate my life, I began to look at my spiritual health and look at the state my prayer life was in, look at the state that my relationship with the Holy Spirit was in. And then I began to look at the, the things that I was preaching, not in light of the scripture, but it's certainly in light of now I'm spending far more time with the Holy Spirit because time was all I had. Mm. You know, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't do anything. Doctors wouldn't let me go to work. Now looking at it and thinking, was this really what you wanted me to do? Was this really what you wanted me to preach? Or have I just been going through the motions? And I came to the realization that for the better part of two years, I had just been going through the motions of ministry rather than the, the uh, emotions and the spiritual uh, workings of a servant in ministry. And for two years, it had definitely been about me and what I was doing that I thought was God related rather than the Holy Spirit leading me in kingdom work. And here I am. Uh, I've spent 20 months out of ministry. I recently came back about two months ago to start doing stuff now, but have been so focused on 
am I even doing what the Holy Spirit wants me to do? Mm. That everything I've done to do with ministry now, I won't ever do again. Mm. I really appreciate you sharing that, you know, that's such a strong strong testimony and and also i believe will help other leaders who are secretly struggling in exactly the same way so thank you for that as i was saying i was sitting there in, in my hotel at my hospital bed hotel i wish it was a hotel bed um and reflecting on the life of job and what he was going through and in amongst it all i realized that god will reduce you to a cry and he'll do whatever it takes to reduce you to a cry. And that cry that comes out of you has to be a cry to him mm. uh, and a cry to, and, and for me, it was a heart attack. For other leaders, it might be something else. It might be you know, a, a loved one passing away. It might be a crisis in their ministry or a financial struggle. Or, but whatever happens when you're not focused on him, God will reduce you to a cry. And I think that if we could get to that point ourselves, rather than him having to step in and interject himself into our life to force the cry to come, we would be in a far better position. So I would, I would encourage every leader, especially in this time of, of the COVID-19 pandemic, to really get before God and reevaluate your life and your ministry and reevaluate why you're doing what you're doing mm -hmm. and get him right back at the center of it. Absolutely. Uh, it's all about our personal missions isn't it yeah. so bishop I, I mean this is this went in a way that i wasn't expecting it i got so <laughs> much more but I, I wanted to give some ideas to leaders about apart from what you just said practical things they can do in this season you know engage in this which we will have to engage in we have no choice um, but to maximize the opportunities that are out there. Because one thing that you mentioned to me was um, a friend of yours had, um, I think they'd done some Facebook advertising, was it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you tell me a bit about that, please? Okay, so a, fr a friend of mine is a, a church in the north of England, and he saw an opportunity over Easter to reach out to the unsaved in his community. So went through the process of using Facebook ads to target people in the area which he lives, specifically to the unbelievers, people that registered no faith, you know, outside or, or, or actually registered no interest at all. Because, you, you know, Facebook, you can put on your, your religious views and your political views. And, and they spent, but they didn't spend a vast amount of money, but they spent money just targeting people in the area around their church. And come Easter Sunday, when they did their, their broadcast for non-church people, they, I think they had something like just over 1,100 people interact with them mm. through Facebook Live. When they made their, their altar call at the end of their presentation, they had over 460 first-time decisions for Christ. You know, they've added a huge amount. Now, they might never end up in their church, but they've added them to the kingdom. Mm. And I think that, you know, especially in this time, there are all manner of different things that we can use through social media to, to help us appeal to, you know, when we do gospel crusades or we do outreach in the church, we put posters up and flyers. It's the same thing. It's just a different medium. So, and, and especially now this week, Facebook have announced some fantastic new upgrades to their, their live broadcasting facilities, specifically to take on platforms like Zoom. 
Yeah. Um, and, and introduced yeah. all manner of meeting rooms of goodness knows what we can do. We can do small group meetings. We can do, you know, leadership meetings through Facebook and, and uh, you can control the number of people you want to see it. You can do specialist broadcast, get people to sign up to yeah. a specialist broadcast that you're doing or teach on a particular thing, open it up, but using sort of Facebook ads. Uh, and that helps you build your, both your online platform and build, you know, your contact list as well. Mm. And I think we've got to keep coming out of this, the things that we're learning now that most of us should have already known coming into this, coming out of this, we have to keep that momentum going. So mm. where we're at now with digital churches, everybody's calling it or e-church or my website talks about our e-community when we come out of the lockdown, when we come out of the crisis, we have a responsibility to maintain that, but not at the expense of losing our, our gathering together. That said, I think there are very novel ways that leaders can interact with their people, which we don't have or haven't done for a long time. And that's called the personal touch. It doesn't take a lot of money to go buy cards and stick them through people's letterboxes because mm -hmm. as clergy, we're on the list of, uh, of, of essential workers. So we can go out and about besides the restrictions. So go out, put cards through the door. Most of us have mobile phones and most of our mobile plans have unlimited or vast amounts of free minutes. Use them, ring people, get, learn to schedule your time, schedule calls with your people. A friend of mine in Germany, has a church, he's the leader, 13, uh, there's 13 senior leaders, there's him and 12 elders. And when the, when the lockdown restrictions weren't in place, you had a, a letter from the church every year, and it would give you two dates and two times, and that was your opportunity to come and see every one of the 13 leaders, because mm -hmm. you had two dates and two dimes for each one of them, one in the first half of the year, one in the second year. So you got to see, sit with, even if it was 10, 15 minutes, you got to sit with all 13 of the senior leaders of the church twice a year, just for that personal interaction. That's not just seeing them in some, this is a great opportunity to build how we're going to interact with people on a personal level and at a level that has been missing from a vast preponderance of Pentecostal, evangelical, charismatic churches, because it's not about sitting in the green room anymore. Mm. It's not about waiting to come out and, and hitting the pulpit at the time that you're supposed to preach. It's about, I'm old fashioned because of the denomination I grew up in. I, I'm in church before most people because I like them to see me lead by example. You, you won't learn how to worship unless you see me worshiping. You won't learn how to lead unless you see me leading. So I'm one of the first in the service and one of the last to go. Mm -hmm. But you know, that's just me. If we can get back to that, and instead of trying to build mega churches by numeric value, let's build mega churches by the impact we have on our community. Absolutely. Absolutely. See, I, I, I did a, a, a teaching years ago talking about, I don't build big churches, I build big people. Mm. And big people build a big church. Yeah. But it's never about the, the, the numeric value of a congregation. It's all about the impact we have on a community, mm. the outreach that we do, the work that we do. And I'd rather have 10 churches of mm. 50 in one city mm. than have one church of 500 way out uh, on the outskirts. Uh, the whole point of the kingdom model is to be interactive mm. and involved mm. in the community. Mm. And I think this is a great time for us to reevaluate this and and to do away with the mega church mindset and the constant comparing ourselves to you know i've got to do it like so and so and i no, 
Do you, the way God's made you to be, be you the way God's made you to be, impact your community, build big people, they'll build a big church, focus on what am I doing in my community? And when people, when, when you quit that community because God either moves you on or calls you home, that community is greatly saddened because, by the, your loss because they know the only reason their community prospered was because of you being in it. I, I just wish we would get back to being about the father's business. And I wish we would get back yeah. to building church like the Bible talks about, not building sanctuaries like we so desperately need for proving that we've achieved something or we have something. And this is this pandemic has proved to every church in the world, it doesn't matter how much your building costs, how big it is, how many it seats, or how many people you broadcast to every week from your platform, it means diddly squat when nobody can go there. And and I feel um, that, you know, at this time, it's it, I feel it's it's given so many opportunities, um, much more than it has the disadvantages. There's so many opportunities, some of which you've outlined, of course. And I am really grateful for you covering this whole thing. Now, um, I'd love it if you could give leaders an opportunity to maybe contact you. It's a, a, a podcast called mm -hmm. CDTV, for example. Um, and whether leaders can get in touch with you to talk about their specifics. So can you give us some contact details? By all means, uh, the quickest way to get hold of me is to email me, and it's cdtv at mail, M-A-I-L dot com. I try to keep everything as simple as I can. Hmm. So you haven't got, because most people under the sun cannot even spell my name. So um, <laughs> when I used to have my whole name as a email address, people would email, I don't know who got them, but I never did. So cdtv at mail.com is my email. Um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's just Bishop Dewar, D-E-W-A-R. I'm the same thing on every platform, YouTube, Bishop Dewar. Um, and we're on Apple uh, Podcasts and Spotify with the, the, it's called the CDTV Podcast. Um, you just put in CDTV Podcast and it'll find it. Uh, or you can go to anchor.fm, which is my hosting platform for the podcast. Oh. Mm. and we're there i'm really easy to contact well i i really appreciate the time you've given me there's so much to unpack um here but i really want to say god bless and keep you and protect you because i know that you work as a chaplain i also know that you volunteer for the nhs here in in the uk so i want to say you know god's protection on your life and may he uphold you and uplift you. Thank you so much for your time, Bishop. Well, thank you for having me on. And uh, I pray that we've spoken to some people and um, I'm greatly blessed by the opportunity to be with you and, and share my somewhat strange views. Uh, <laughs> but I pray that God will really bless you in the work that you do and Amen. especially in highlighting some of the things that you bring to leaders and, and God would expand you and your ability to help. Amen and uh, your ability to help other leaders grow. And I pray that God would really bless you for the work that you do spiritually, physically, financially, and mentally, Amen. and sustain you in all ways and in all things. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bishop. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you gained some insights. If you did, please share the show link with other leaders. And don't forget, 
every Monday, we'll release another episode of the Healthy Church Growth Show.